This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Last week, a federal appeals court upheld the new stricter rules in place linked to what is known as net neutrality. Internet providers like Verizon and Comcast were trying to get the courts to overturn the rules that would prevent the slowing of the Internet to consumers. It also meant that companies couldn't pay a fee to Verizon or Comcast or any other provider to speed up certain websites. To take a look at the ruling and how this may continue to play out, because there are some expectations that this is the not this is not the last step in the process. We're joined on the phone by our friend Kevin Warbach, who is Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. And also joining us is Christian Hogendorn, who's an Associate Professor of Economics at Wesleyan University in Connecticut. Kevin, Christian, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, The ruling to me, Kevin, not really, I I think, a total surprise. How about you? Well, the conventional wisdom was that the FCC was likely to win on the basic issue of their legal authority to reclassify broadband Internet access as what's called a telecommunication service, the same basic legal category that's used for things like telephone service. But most people expected that the FCC was more vulnerable on some aspects of its order, classifying wireless services under net neutrality, including uh, what's called interconnection, uh, how uh, the back end of the network connects into other networks and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the FCC won across the board. It was a pretty sweeping victory for the FCC. Chris? Yeah, um, I I, I guess that's right. I uh, I guess Title II is pretty powerful stuff. And, um, you know, once they, once they went that route, as long as they have that authority, then they can do quite a lot of stuff. What is it about uh, this ruling that uh, – I, I mean, I've read several articles, Kevin, that, that make you believe that this is just another step in the process and that at some point we may very well see this go all the way up to the Supreme Court. This is a battle that's been going on for well over a decade The debate about net neutrality started uh, early in the 2000s, actually even slightly before that. And this is actually the third time the FCC has tried to adopt enforceable open Internet rules. And twice before, it's been challenged in court and overturned. So this is the first time that the Court of Appeals, this is the District of Columbia Circuit Court of Appeals, upheld the FCC's legal authority. Now, it's not the final court. The Supreme Court is the Supreme, uh, the Supreme Court. <laughs> so yeah. the, uh, the phone and cable companies that oppose this are entitled, first of all, to ask for what's called a rehearing in the Court of Appeals, although that's usually not likely to succeed. But they're entitled to request an appeal to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court doesn't have to take the case. They actually take a very small percentage of the cases that go up to them. So it's certainly possible they could take this case. It's probably pretty unlikely, especially given just how sweeping the victory was in the Court of Appeals. And also given the prior Supreme Court case, there was a case called Brand X about 10 years ago that didn't deal with exactly the same issues, but it was a case that the FCC and all of the parties were looking to in this decision, and the Court of Appeals basically said, we're essentially following what the Supreme Court already told us. Chris, what does this end up doing for the the industry, the, the, the 
industry, the companies that that are selling the internet to to families and and consumers out there. I mean, is it going to be as simple as we're going to eventually be paying more for internet because of the level of technology that continues to increase seemingly year by year? Yeah, I think that's a that, that's that's a, that's the question that keeps coming up with us is um, you know sort of who pays and. You know, I think we've had a lot of uh, many, many years, and, and this may very well continue. We've had many years of very rapid technological change, so that the cost of more bandwidth has been coming down, and that's allowed us to really ramp up how much bandwidth households are consuming without having a huge increase in prices. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that'll continue. You know, in which case we're 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 in pretty good shape. If we run into really serious congestion problems. And there are, you know, some signs of that cropping up here and there, right? Then, yeah, then new equipment's got to be installed. That costs money. Somebody's got to pay for it. And, um, and, and then this kicks in, you know, in terms of determining who pays for it. But yet we still have to, you know, you know spectrum auctions, 5G. You know, there's, there's a lot of pieces out there that, that when you look at them from, you know, a strictly consumer point, you say, okay, exactly. Am I going to be the one that's going to end up paying, paying the freight on this? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I've always kind of thought that for existing services, you know, if we're just talking about a purely kind of static environment and you just want to get the Netflix or, or, or the Hulu that you've already got and you don't want it to improve and you don't want it to change. Yeah. Yeah, those are, those are well, not so much Netflix, but those are partially advertising funded. Um, there may be other parties who are willing to pick up part of your tab. And you probably could pay a little less in exchange for some advertising or tracking. Yeah, if I could jump in, Dan, the, yep. the broadband providers, one of their arguments against these open Internet or net neutrality rules is, first of all, if we have to be subject to these requirements, the specific yep. requirements about no blocking and discrimination and so forth, and uh, the, the uh, more extensive rules that you talked about, uh, things like the, the no uh, paid prioritization and so forth, um, and also the, the general requirement that they're under these Title II telecommunications rules. Yeah. Their argument is we're not going to invest. It's going to be too onerous, and therefore we're going to slow down our investment, uh, and uh, that's going to be worse for consumers. And the reality is so far we haven't seen that. It's been more than a year that these particular rules have been in yeah. place. It's been several years since the FCC has had some open Internet rules. As, as Christian said, there, there definitely are issues going forward about the costs of the infrastructure, about the management of the network, and so forth, as all these new kinds of services come online. But so far, the indications have been that the fact that the FCC has these policies about non-discrimination, that itself isn't causing uh, consumers to get worse service or have to pay more. Well, it it does end up affecting the bottom line of a lot of these companies. Uh, But then again, they're making money seemingly hand over fist to begin with, Kevin. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's almost like you're taking from, from one pocket and putting in, putting the money in another. Well, so first of all, it's not that simple. Okay. Um, so uh, there are many decisions that get made in de- developing and deploying networks. Yeah. Many of these are cooperative decisions. So okay. when Netflix uh, increases its capacity, that increases their cost, but that also increases cost of others in the network who are delivering the traffic. Right. But there's all sorts of decisions that get made about where you put servers, where you put caching boxes, how you interconnect, and so forth. 
Uh, and the reality is uh, it's not just a matter that either uh, Netflix and Google and Facebook are going to pay or the broadband companies pay. And it's really ultimately not about whether anyone's making too much money. This is capitalism. It's entirely appropriate for Comcast and Verizon and AT&T to provide a return for their shareholders. The question is allowing this to be done in a way where if anyone engages in some anti-competitive, unreasonable discrimination, where essentially they are using their gatekeeper control to disadvantage customers and disadvantage yeah. innovation, then there's the opportunity for the FCC to step in. It, going back to when we had Tom Werner on the show uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I got the sense then that, that his expectation was, and, and I don't know if it was an expectation or you know he certainly hoped that this ruling was going to go this way. Uh, was that the sense that you got as well? Tom Wheeler, you mean the Tom FCC Wheeler, chairman? sorry. Uh, certainly, uh, it was certainly his hope <laughs> that it would go that way. But, yeah, yeah the, the FCC worked very hard on this order to provide a good legal justification. Uh, I had some concerns and some doubts, uh, not so much based on the non-discrimination rules, but essentially the, the procedural issues and the way the FCC had changed from its prior position but uh, and that was those were basically the arguments the dissenting judge. This was a two to one decision in the mm-hmm. appeals court. Those were the arguments the dissenting judge focused in on as his reasons for uh, not joining the majority. But yeah, I think most people in the FCC were uh, optimistic that at least they would win on the core part of the order. But it's a court; you never know until the decision comes down. Are we at a point right now with with some of the the moves that we have seen in this industry where it's getting harder to harder to have any further consolidation within? in this industry right now? I don't know. Christian, do you want to take that? Or, or, uh, or is he uh, no longer on with Well, you He's know, it, 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 yeah. I think there was a, I think there was a, uh, a, a kind of a, a little bit of a sea change on that with uh, Comcast and Time Warner Cable. Yeah. Because up until then, um, it almost reminded me of what happened with railroads, this, this idea of end-to-end mergers, right? So, you know, one company is serving one area, another company is serving another area. They don't really compete with one another. So why would you not let them merge? Because, you know, there's no anti-competitive effect. And, right. and with Comcast Time Warner, they started arguing, no, no, wait, this is, it's really kind of more on the other side of the market. It's, it's about the uh, market power toward content providers. And so the bigger you are the more, um, the more uh, there might be uh, market power versus the content providers. That's kind of a whole different argument. And so, yeah, to the extent that that argument prevails, we're in a different world. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. You can join in, 844-942-7866. Joining us on the phone, Kevin Warbach uh, of the Wharton School, Christian Hogendorn of uh, Wesleyan University in Connecticut. Again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, We're talking about the net neutrality uh, rules uh, that have been in place for a while, challenged in the courts. One by the FCC uh, last week. Again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. What is the next step then, Kevin, potentially for uh, companies like Comcast and Verizon and AT&T in, in this process? As you said, seemingly this was a, a, a significant win for the FCC across the board. They're going to uh, probably ask for a rehearing, which, again, is unlikely to succeed. They're going to appeal to the Supreme Court, which, again, is fairly unlikely to succeed. They're going to continue to push Congress to act. Congress, in any time it wants, can 
change the FCC's legal authority or can tell the FCC what to do. The Republicans have done a lot of saber-rattling about net neutrality and about uh, limiting the FCC's legal authority. President Obama has been very strong in his threat to veto anything like that, so it's, it's fairly unlikely that uh, something passes in Congress, but they'll keep trying to do that. And then, frankly, ultimately what's going to happen is they'll compete in the marketplace. And when there are issues, which there are already a number of them teed up, uh, for example, there's controversies about what's called zero rating. Yep. Companies basically have a data cap and then exempt some traffic from the data cap. It's not 100% clear where that falls on net neutrality. If the FCC has the legal authority, which the court decision says they do, then the companies will go in and make their arguments, and the uh, other side will make their arguments, and we'll work this through. Ultimately, uh, I think this long fight about the legal authority hasn't really helped anyone. The reality is there's a lot of gray areas here. There's a lot of important issues where there are two sides of the argument, and you've got an expert regulator uh, that's going to be kind of a fair cop on the beat to resolve them. I guess uh, there are several issues that the FCC still does have to work through, as you kind of alluded to, and and implementing uh, a, a lot of these rules that uh, that they have now uh, and have been using with uh, with net neutrality. Uh, the zero rating one is is one that's interesting because of the fact that it kind of goes, uh, from what I understand, to the uh, to the control that that some companies could potentially have in terms of that data. You know, some of which is it falls under the rule, some of which does not. It falls under the rule. The yeah. question is how the FCC decides on it. The, the rule talks about blocking and it talks about uh, unreasonable discrimination. Um, and there's a few more specific terms under what's called the general conduct policy by the FCC. It also talks about paid prioritization. And the FCC has said basically zero rating is something that we can imagine might be a problem but we're not across the board going to forbid it. There's uh, arguments that zero rating might be a very good thing for consumers, um, that it might be a way to give consumers cheaper service. It's, it's used mm -hmm. in some low-income areas to give uh, subsidized free service, but only to a limited subset of content. Um, so there's good debates to be had about um, what the parameters are. Uh, for example, T-Mobile has a zero rating service on their wireless plan, which is optional. The customer can opt out of it if they want, mm. um, and it's designed to uh, give them uh, more data as long as it's at, at lower bit rates, so it uses less network traffic uh, under their data cap. Uh, you know, I'm not, I, I think it's the right way to go uh, to say, okay, let's get the experts in, let's get the economic data in, let's, let's have this all out in the open, yeah. not just some secret um, handshake deals behind the scenes by companies. Uh, and then we can see if this is actually beneficial for consumers, then great. Yeah, that's what I would say, too, about zero rating, is that that'll be a process. Yep. Um, I was at a uh, forum on network neutrality at the FCC, and, uh, you know, Tom Wheeler was there, and he spoke, and he talked about the idea of instant scalability. And I've heard him say that elsewhere, too. That's something that he feels is a really strong feature of the Internet. You're going along with some service or some app, it's kind of small, kind of under the radar. And if you succeed, the way the Internet works is you, you really hit it big quickly. And the great thing is you can instantly scale up because everything is all in vertical layers. It's easy to buy additional services. It's easy to get you know, uh, new server capacity and bandwidth and, and that kind of thing. And so new innovative companies can kind of come out of nowhere. So I think that the application of that to zero rating is – if it, if it becomes a non-transparent process, 
whereby a new app could come along and suddenly everybody wants to use it, but it hits up against some kind of data cap. And then that company isn't invited to the party because, you know, maybe it doesn't fit into some corporate strategy at an ISP. That's where the problem is going to come um, for the FCC with zero rating. Right. Uh, is data really the, 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 one of the big areas to really still kind of work, work through right now, Christian? Well, yeah, I think I mean zero rating. Yeah, yeah, I think zero rating is probably going to because the as long as as long as the rule is upheld, it's pretty clear that other kinds of differential pricing and fast lanes and uh, paid prioritization and so forth aren't allowable. So that's kind of the the at least right now that's sort of the obvious frontier, right? You you put a cap on a person's, uh, a consumer's bandwidth. So they're paying for a certain amount of bandwidth. And they can buy, you know, they can buy more if they want to. Right. So that kind of service is allowable. Um, but the one area where some kind of differential pricing and, and some kind of payment by the content provider rather than the consumer might still be allowed is, yeah, the exemption to that data cap. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Kevin Warbach joins us uh, from the Wharton School. Christian Hogendorn from uh, Wesleyan University. Your comments are welcome at 844-942-7866. Kevin, where do you see as the most important areas uh, for this to still be addressed going forward in the near term? Well, as I said, the, the big issue is the FCC's legal authority and their ability to work through these issues. So the, the, the real question will be when the rubber meets the road and we have proceedings about uh, usage-based pricing and data caps, uh, another issue that's not specifically net neutrality, but by virtue of the FCC reclassifying broadband as a Title II telecommunications service, the FCC got legal authority and the Federal Trade Commission lost the legal authority to deal with privacy for broadband service providers. So this is a hugely important issue, not about net neutrality per se, but because of the way that proceeding happened, that's now an issue the FCC is involved in. They've started a proceeding on that. That's going to be a huge and important issue. Uh, So I think those are all going to be big questions. I think interconnection regulation, which again is not on the end user side, but on the side of the network where the broadband access providers are connecting to other networks. That's where we've already seen some controversies involving, for example, Comcast and Netflix. Uh, And that's, again, an area where the FCC said, we're going to regulate it, we're going to adopt open internet principles, but we're going to essentially address it case by case. There are just so many different ways that disputes can arise in that marketplace that I'm sure we're going to see some uh, just because that's where the traffic is and that's where the money is. And Christian, it's seemingly that this is not a process that that feels like it's going to be, you know, I know you have this ruling, but there still seems, as Kevin mentioned, that there are issues to pop up that this is not going to be simplified anytime soon because of the need for content and the need for bandwidth and, and, and the technology end of it. There's so many kind of interchangeable parts with this right now. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, that's the strength and the weakness of this, right? The whole, yeah. the whole logic here. Um, I, I think the main logic behind network neutrality is to provide a lower risk environment for innovators, you know, so that you don't have to worry that if you come up with a great idea that you'll be kept out of the, uh, of the dance, you know, by the, by the um, powers that be at the ISPs, right? That's, that's really the logic of it is to lower the risk. But, of course, technology keeps changing, 
um, and that's part of the whole point of innovation. So there's yeah. always going to be some new thing to, to be decided. I, I guess, Kevin, it, it does mean that our our friend Tom Wheeler is going to ha- continue to have his hands full in, in, in the months and years to come. Well, or whoever takes on his yeah, job in the next right. administration. Absolutely, yeah. and that's okay. I mean, look, this is the infrastructure of the 21st century. This, yeah. this is the platform for the Internet, and the Internet is no longer just about digital services. It's connecting into our cars and our homes and our workplaces, and we walk around with it with our phones, and all of our industrial devices are getting connected and so forth. So this is uh, something that could not be more important to our society and you've got lots of very sophisticated uh, very uh, large companies on all sides as well as lots of really innovative startups in this world and they're going to be points of friction and uh, that's okay um, that that's happened every time before we've had a transformative infrastructure platform right uh, and so we shouldn't be shocked that this comes up and and frankly i think that the problem has always been on both sides the absolutism of either saying, um, well, once we have a rule that says black and white, no discrimination or no blocking, then we're done. Or on the other side, saying we can't have any rule because the moment that anything is regulated, then again, all innovation and investment stops. Uh, neither of those is reality. So hopefully this court decision means yep. that we've gotten beyond the point of fighting about the legal authority, and now we can have the real debates about the real issues. But the court decision does, it does lead, uh, as you were kind of alluding to, into the fact that, you know, communication in the 20th century was a lot by phone. And then obviously we've made this shift where communication in the 21st century is by text, by email. You know, it's it, we've just... We've advanced so much that the what what is communication today is just different than what it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, yet it's still communication. And for some of these companies to think that they weren't going to be put under this, I, I, I think is a little naive in some cases. They weren't arguing against all regulation. Yeah. Uh, they were arguing against specific kinds of classification and specific kinds of rules. Even if the FCC does nothing, and I, I favor this approach for the FCC to be involved, there are still general antitrust rules. There's general fraud rules and uh, Federal Trade Commission rules and so forth yeah. uh, that apply if it's not a common carrier telecommunications service. So it's not to say, I, I, I think, to be fair to the broadband providers that they were arguing uh, we should be free to do absolutely anything yeah. we want to. Yeah. Um, what's been interesting to watch, though, is as this debate has evolved over the last decade, the, the statements from the executives of the broadband providers um, have shifted uh, at every stage, where at first they were basically saying, look, we need the freedom to innovate and so forth ourselves. It's our networks. We built them. No one should touch them. To the point where they said, okay, we can have some principles but not rules. Then they said we can have some rules but not all these rules. We can have all these rules but not the reclassification and not the paid prioritization. And, and they've stepped back and stepped back to the point where um, I think they now are facing reality. And yeah. they'll do fine in this world as long as they innovate and compete Again, these are great companies. Yeah. Uh, there, there's nothing wrong with having a process to address what's uh, reasonable. Kevin, thanks very much. Christian, great to have you as well. Thank you both. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.